the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslopede Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brad Griffin, and our guest today is Kevin Anderson, an expat university teacher living in Busan, South Korea. Kevin moved to South Korea to teach English after college, and unlike most folks who do their year and return home, Kevin decided to stay. He's recently launched Lowell Ander, where he makes bespoke leathercraft items, bags, briefcases, purses, watch bands, wallets, you name it. Kevin's work can be found on Instagram at Lowell Ander. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's good to be with you. It is. It's good to catch up. And if, if this sounds like two old friends talking, that's because that's exactly what this is. Uh, Kevin and I went to college together, had all kinds of adventures and misadventures together. Um, some some really good times. And it's been a while since we've seen each other. Uh, it took this and technology to reunite us. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see him. He's a good guy. Yeah, it's good to catch up. So tell us a little bit about leather crafting. I don't recall you being a maker. I don't recall you being particularly crafty. Uh, so I'm interested to hear <laughs> kind of how it is that this became the thing. Yeah, I guess there wasn't a ton of stuff that I was doing in, in this sort of vein uh, while we were going to school together. But uh, I think creatively, there's always been an itch there. And um, I found different ways to scratch it. Um, I've been doing leather work specifically for, man, I'd say about two and a half years now. Okay. Um, and mostly what sort of got me into it was, uh, a, another friend of mine who was working with leather, uh, back in the States in Florida, but he was sort of running a company, um, that made bags in Colombia, and then they were sort of Colombian based designs and they were selling them and we got to talking about leather stuff. Anyways, he, he asked me if I was interested in possibly doing a design for a briefcase. And I decided I'd sort of take that challenge on and then just sort of fell down the rabbit hole and was like, all right, well, before I design a bag, I need to like you know, start working with the actual product. And let's let's what, start with a belt or something, you know, like. something easy. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a, I think I made a sleeve for my Kindle or something like that. And, um, one of the luxuries of my job in Korea is that I have a lot of free time and a lot of time to pursue things outside of my actual work. So um, it, it was just something that sort of picked up, and I've just been getting more and more into it, having a really good time with it. Awesome, awesome. And I've seen pictures of the tools online that people use. There's little yeah. forks, there's tongs, there's blades, <laughs> there's there's all kinds of things. What's the deal with all those? I mean, they look like they came out of a you know, hostile part three or something, but I'm sure each one has a purpose. <laughs> yeah. A tool, the tool part of it is actually something I, I love. I mean, there's so many different tools and every tool does have its own purpose. And there's just different uh, techniques that you can use that are just not able to be accomplished um, without them. 
Uh, I'll make something very simple like a watch strap and I might use, you know, 20 to 30 different types of tools just to make that one item. So it's definitely something that the, you know, you can start off making things very simply, Mm -hmm. um, very basic, you know, with just maybe a, a punch for your holes, you know, a couple needles and some thread, maybe some scissors or an exacto knife, and you can you can start making leather work. But the more you get into it, the more you realize, oh, I want my stuff to look more like this, more like that. And there's tools that are necessary to sort of get you there. Right, right. One of the nice things about the tools, though, is they they all do tend to be kind of small. So as opposed to other you know craft oriented projects like woodwork or something like that, yeah. it. it it does sort of lend itself to something that I can do in a, you know, an apartment lifestyle in, in South Korea. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking about drill presses and table saws. So. Right. Right. So something I like to kind of kick off everybody with is what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh man. You know, I'm sure a lot of people that changed over time. I think the biggest thing in, in adolescence was probably that I wanted to be a, an attorney. Uh, because that was my, my father's an attorney. And so, you know, you kind of want to be like the the people that you want to be like. And, um, you know, that was definitely my father moving into high school. Another male, uh, role model of mine was my youth pastor. So I wanted to, (laughs) then I kind of thought, Oh, maybe not a, an attorney, maybe I'll be a youth pastor. And so I ended up uh, pursuing that, um, in terms of education. Awesome. And then your degree is in theology, correct? Yes, undergrad and also a, a master's okay. in theology. So what happened to that? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're still there. <laughs> they're probably an arm's length right now in some you know binder on my shelf. Um, I still have those degrees. You know, they haven't gone anywhere. But um, yeah, um, in terms of just vocation and practice. Um, you know, I've just gone into, into a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like a lot of people, uh, sort of 2007, 2008 was a big, uh, turning point in my life. I had been involved in a number of different projects in the Phoenix area. I was working with a church, uh, in the downtown Phoenix area that really catered to like younger people and the artistic community. We were doing stuff with, uh, homeless people and, uh, with worker rights movements and some of the immigration issues in, in the Phoenix area. And then I also was working with the organization called Rise Up, um, which at the time was both a nonprofit and also had a fashion clothing line. Mm-hmm. So I'd opened up, uh, helped open up the flagship store uh, for them. Um, all of two of those projects sort of came crashing down along with the financial crisis. So. I imagine. Yeah, it was time to start looking at, you know, what else was out there. And (laughs) one thing led to another, and I I ended up coming out to Korea. Okay. So I know a lot of people say, oh, I had a friend that, you know, lived in China for a year and taught third graders. So how's your career out there kind of gone? What was the original thing you were doing? And then kind of how's that progressed to the university work you're doing now? Yeah. um, Originally, I had sort of wanted to go to South America. Um, I had anticipated that uh, some time abroad would be a good thing. While the economy recovered, I could work on my Spanish and come back to the States and maybe have that a little bit more dialed in because I was really more interested in working with uh, immigration rights and social justice type issues. 
it turned out that that's pretty difficult to do. To work in Spanish-speaking countries, you usually have to have money saved up and bring bring that with you down there because the the cost of living might be low, but the the wages are also really low. So mm-hmm. I was looking somewhere that I would be able to work um, and and then live off of the money that I made. Um, also, I was interested in working in a public school. I didn't really want to get into the whole like academy type teaching. So I found an opportunity where I could come to Korea and work at a public school teaching, you know, uh, at an elementary school, public school kids and did that for my first job in South Korea. My second job in South Korea, I did end up at a private academy. Um, And then it was my third year here that I started working at the school that I am now, which is a university uh, with college age kids and teaching teaching them conversational English. So I've been at that school since 2011. Awesome. Awesome. So I've heard it said, you know, I know a couple teachers and I've heard it said that, you know, you're either called to the work or you're called to, you know, a steady paycheck pension and summers off coming out of school with your theology degree, you know, deciding to move to Korea, didn't getting into teaching. Was it something that you thought you'd be doing long-term? Was it something that was just kind of a change of pace and, You'd be going back to that work you were just talking about, or how's that kind of progressed to something that you're really enjoying? You've stayed for a couple of years, you know, kind of how's that journey been? Well, I, yeah, I definitely never felt any sort of call to being a teacher per se. Um, at the same time, I've always been sort of teaching throughout my whole career, um, educating in one fashion or another. There, there are plenty of benefits. Um, my current job. I joke with my coworkers about it being uh, golden handcuffs because there's not a lot of room to to grow vocationally. Like we're we're sort of at the top of the food chain in terms of you know foreigners living in Korea and and teaching here. The amount of vacation time we have is kind of insane, and um, <laughs> so there's a lot of things that that make it really hard to leave. Yeah, but at the same time, I. I do enjoy what I do. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, working with the students. I enjoy teaching them. Um, I love that age. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, the age where we met each other, right, um, right. where you're just kind of coming into your own, you're figuring out so much about who you are and your life and your first, you know, time sort of away from home for a lot of people. And it's just, it's just a neat age. Right. It's a neat age to work with uh, right. people that are going through all that and experiencing all that and, so, you know, I, I do enjoy that part of it, but also my job just has me working usually three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two months off in the winter, two months off in the summer, uh, along with a host of other um, holidays and stuff along the way. So the schedule is just, it's where I'm the richest. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very wealthy in time. Yeah. Which allows you to pursue things like learning to leathercraft and figuring out what to do with that yeah i mean i leathercraft has sort of been one of many things that i've pursued while i've been here i mean i've you know i've taken up taekwondo uh, I, i'm not currently practicing that but you know just playing soccer playing flag football the gym learning how to knit learning how to <laughs> uh brew i know that's yeah, something yeah. that you yeah, were doing yeah. for a while too yeah. um so yeah home brewing i mean it's just you have so much free time that it's like, ah, oh, I should pick up another hobby, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, 
everybody else is working. Like, what am I going to do? So, and all my, and all my friends back home, it's, you know, 4am there. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that age. I mean, when you're figuring out, you know, I'm not who my parents want me to be. I'm not where I grew up. You know, I, I can choose to be someone else. I can learn new things and decide how I feel about that on my own and kind of figure it out. That is such a powerful age. And it's hard to explain to people that, you know, I don't want to say didn't go to college because it's not necessarily that, but there is something about being with a huge group of people that are all experiencing the same thing at the same time, you know, and I've even talked to people that went to college, but didn't live in the dorms, you know, went to college, but lived at home and just commuted in and their experience isn't the same, you know, or went to college where they grew up, you know, and Mm -hmm. their experience isn't the same. There's something powerful about moving away from where you're from and deciding who you're going to be. Yeah, I mean, we we were really lucky too. I don't know how unique our experience is. When I talk to other people, it seems that we had somewhat of a unique experience. I think part of that might have to do with the size of our school that we went to as well, and just in terms of your college experience and mine. Yeah, I mean, two thousand kids, to, people, two thousand under, undergrad. So yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty small, large group. I mean, it seemed like you knew everybody on campus, kind of thing, and everybody was sort of cool with everybody so i don't know i think our experience was a bit unique but also just that time in general has greater experiences that are can be drawn from so knitting tell me a little bit more about knitting it involves couple needles and yarn like i, I can't <laughs> i'm not asking for I the mean, wikipedia summary i mean you know. yeah i mean i could i could wax a little bit more about leather craft knitting is just something that you know i don't know man it's it's been a few scarves and <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe a hat or something like that, like that, that never really took off, but it was something that I didn't know how to do before, um, I came to Korea it's something that I do know how to do now. Awesome. Um, another thing that Korea sort of lended itself to in that way too, is like, um, there have been a lot of things that I haven't had access to here. Um, for example, uh, refried beans, right? Like, okay. man, it's, it's refried beans. You know, it's so hard to live without refried beans, but you don't realize that until they're not there. Right. right? And so you have to figure out like, all right, well, I'll just get some pinto beans and I'll learn how to like cook those and make those. And there's just been so many examples of of those kinds of things that I've had to learn how to do because it didn't exist. And for a long time, that's why I got into the the brewing side of things, too, Mm -hmm. because it's just, you know, pilsners and light lagers and uh you know, if you wanted to drink an IPA, right. like that just did, couldn't really happen. So it was like, man, I better, I better learn out, learn real quick, you know, how to, uh, how to make one. And that's great because you can't really ferment a Pilsner or a lager in your closet, but you can ferment, you know, any kind of IPA or pale ale. So that, that works yeah. out pretty great. Well, I do have temperature control. Okay. So. All right. Stepping up the game, stepping up the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't, I only do ales, but, uh, I do have the capability. Of you don't have the uh, dark closet with the wet towel wrapped around it like this guy. No. All no. right. Well, your technology is a little more advanced. So, uh, <laughs> we do have that going for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got to say, people, uh, you can't see we're video chatting right now. And this, uh, this video on Apple FaceTime is shockingly clear, like much clearer than any of the other ones I've done. So, uh, the South Korean Wi Fi is, uh, is no joke. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit easier to do, you know, infrastructure projects, though, in a, in a smaller country. I mean, just to give, uh, you know, larger companies, a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they definitely do put a lot of uh, time and money into projects like that or, or just projects in general. I mean, I wouldn't be here if the government didn't put a lot of money into English education. Right. right. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So conversational English. So what kinds of things are you working with your students on? A lot of my students are going to be going into more trades, right? Um, I have students who are going to be uh, dental assistants, uh, nurses. You know, there's going to be students who are in childhood education, uh, teaching elementary age or uh, kindergarten age students, um, I have students who are going to go into optometry or uh, beauty school. There's a bunch of different uh, majors at my school. Most of them are probably not going to need uh, real technical English, with the exception of you know maybe some of like the nursing and dental students. They have large vocabulary that they need in English that I wouldn't be able to help them out mm -hmm. with anyways, right? Mm -hmm. But um, you know, typically it's just just conversational English, like. If you are interacting with uh, foreigners, um, or even if you're just going on vacation, I mean, it's a in the global world that we live in. You know, being able to read English is very important if you want to travel anywhere, right? So, um, a lot of it's just just going through real basic everyday conversation types of uh, subjects. So, what's a basic daylight for you? <laughs> given all your um, hobbies, given your myriad of days off, given your three-day schedule. Yeah, that's one of the crazy things is that my daily schedule can look very different from, from one day to the next. Like um, today, you know, I'm up at 6.30 and I'm at school by 8.30 doing a speaking test for students at 9.30 um, and then another speaking test at 11.30 and then I'm done by like 12:30. So today was real kickback, you know, but also that's sort of my full day too. Mm -hmm. Um a full day where I'm actually at the school, I'm teaching two classes, uh, two two-hour classes. So I have like 4 hours of in in class time. But like yesterday, uh I had an office hour that I had to do at 4:30 and then I had a night class at 5:50 and that got done at like 7:30. So you know, one day to the next, it could be super varied. You know, I can I can wake up at ten thirty if I want to, right? <laughs> like that typically doesn't happen because I I have so many other projects usually that I'm working on and I'm excited about like trying to you know make a new thing, whatever that thing might be. Mm -hmm. um, but and then you know I've got a lot of days off, uh, so tomorrow is my Friday, um, which will be just a full day off and all. I'll be starting a new a new briefcase actually tomorrow that I'm going to be working on. So that'll be what most of my day tomorrow looks like. Um, but I might find time to brew <laughs> a batch <laughs> of beer like while I'm working on leather stuff too. So um, yeah, it, it's a real mix. Um, I also sometimes will do some stuff, other stuff on the side, working with like uh, kids at an art academy, uh -huh. teaching them English. Um, you know, through the medium of crafts, mm -hmm. you know, cut it, cutting and gluing and um, coloring and those sorts of things. So, so how much Korean have you had to learn to be able to work with these students in English and explain to them in Korean what you're trying to say and how to say it better and correct them? I mean, how's that been? <sighs> Obviously, the longer I've been here, and I and I've put some effort into actually going to Korean classes and things like that. Um, so the longer I've been here 
the more I've had the capability of integrating Korean uh, alongside English in those lessons. There's different schools of thought in terms of what's better. You know, if it's just complete English submersion, if Mm -hmm. that's like the best environment for them to learn in. The problem I face, I feel, is a lot of times classes have very uh, different levels of students in terms of where they're at. I imagine. Uh, Koreans are typically learning English, you know, from even when they're in kindergarten, you know, they'll have a short lesson you know, incorporated into their day up through high school. Um, a lot of the students are attending what are called hogwans, private academies, and they'll attend them for any number of subjects. I mean, you can go to an academy for math, for um, piano, for taekwondo, you know. So when Korean kids typically get out of school, they go back to private school. Um, and sometimes kids will be in school till, you know, nine, ten o'clock at night, and they're just moving from one one subject to the next. So I might get a student in my class who's had, you know, four years of private academy training in English. And then another student who's only really had access to whatever English they had in their, in their school system. And that can be varied as well, whether they're coming from more of a country setting or, you know, in a bigger city that maybe had more resources, had hired native English teachers to uh, be there as well. So, Mm -hmm. My students' levels are varied, and you know, you want to kind of bring everybody along together. Um, and sometimes I've felt like using um, Korean, at least when I'm doing explanation of things, can save me some time. Um, it allows me to get uh, to the lesson, the actual English lesson, faster if there's some more like technical stuff that, that I need to explain to them using some Koreans. So, Mm -hmm. um, I try and just feel it out. I'm sure I probably use more Korean than other teachers do, but I feel like when I do that, it lets me focus on the parts of English that I want to focus on. It'll, it allows me to like dig in a little bit deeper on those. Awesome. No, that makes a lot of sense. So getting back to leather work, do you have a creative routine or ritual for when you're deciding what to make, what's next, what you're going to attempt, um, kind of, how do you come up with stuff? <clears throat> well, um, thankfully I have a wife who's very supportive of, uh, pretty much all my hobbies. I mean, <laughs> when it was, you know, when my main hobby was brewing, she got me a, a big like milk refrigerator that I turned into a kegerator. Um, but she's been real supportive of the leather crafting as well. And, <laughs> The benefit she gets out of that is sometimes she'll get, a, you know, a handbag or whatever. Um, right. So sometimes I would say a lot of my projects are either come out of, oh, this is something I'd love to have, whether that's, you know, like I mentioned originally, it was like a sleeve for my Kindle. But, man, there's so much you can make out of leather, like my wallet, my belt, my watch straps, mm-hmm. you know, my briefcase, um, any given day, like when I'm walking to work, I probably have like five or six different items that I've made that I'm, I'm carrying around. Um, but r- more recently, and I, I'm not actually like selling goods uh, to the open public, but I do I do sell a lot of stuff to, to just friends. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the projects that I work on end up being commissions from friends or family, and that sort of drives what I do. 
and it ends up becoming the, oh, okay, this will be a cool next project for me to work on. I'm really excited to try to make this thing that I've never done before, but it's what this individual wants. So I, I'm going to be able to just take that on and, and tackle it. And as you make patterns for things in theory, you know, you're, you, once you figure out how to make one in theory, you can make more of them. And, you know, are you, are you building that stable? Are you working towards, you know, the idea of having a store or selling these things online or. Ah, there's a couple different things to unpack there. So one, like on the pattern side of things, um, some of the things that I've started making will be somebody says, Oh, like I want a bag that looks like this and send me a picture or something. Um, and then I have to figure out, okay, with the techniques that I know, with the resources that I have, the tools that I have, you know, how can I get as close to that type of thing as, as this individual wants? And that's going to mean some logistic changes because I don't have this tool or I don't have that, you know, uh, technique mastered yet mm -hmm. or something. Some of that I'll try and learn on the fly. Uh, the other way that I'll handle it is I've got a number of different Japanese leathercraft books that will often come with like patterns and picture tutorials that I'll try and follow along and, and build something out that way. Um, I can't read Japanese, so like I'm just <laughs> limited to the pictures. I can't read the actual descriptions, but sometimes just having dimensions and a few pictures can mm -hmm. go a long way uh, to helping out with that. Um, but I'm, I am getting to the place now where I do have enough techniques down to where I can kind of say like, all right, you know, I, I want to do this. Um, the thing with a lot of, you know, things, whether they're bags or passport covers or what, like a lot of these are just standard sizes. I mean, even if you're talking about famous Italian or French designers or whatever, I mean, they're all kind of working from a certain mold. Like there's a certain specs, like, you're going to have a passport cover. Well, that's got to fit a passport, right? Like right. you have a set um, thing for that. Or if you're going to make a briefcase, like it's going to need to fit like at least a four size paper, right? So a lot of the design aspect of things are sort of predetermined um, based on the items we use, whether mm -hmm. that's a cell phone or a laptop or whatever. So when you have a, enough techniques and then you know, you usually have the general dimensions that you need to work with. The rest is just kind of like stylizing stuff and, you know, putting your own little twist on it. So I'm, I feel like I'm at a place now where I can start to do that and spread my wings a little bit and express myself a little bit more through, through the individual items. Right. So that leads into my next question. Is there anything you're trying to say or do with your craft? Anything you, you think it says about you or that you want people to know about your work? <sighs> That's a good question i don't i don't think that i've gotten to the point where my work has its own identity okay. right like um, i i feel like i'm still uh in the earlier stages to where it it all has its own flavor that like you can recognize it as oh that's you know lol ander but i i'm definitely heavily influenced by japanese style and within leather you know there's sort of different molds um there's there's very much western style leather like cowboys mm -hmm. you know type saddles and you know gun holsters and, and and patterns that go along with that carving tooling um there are celtic styles there are norse you know and sort of viking inspired styles of leather there's english styles that are more influenced by like uh bridal type of um, leather work okay. 
And then there's the big fashion houses like continental fashion houses that, you know, are, are huge influences too. But, um, I would say my work is most inspired by, by Japanese style leather craft. Hmm. You mentioned, uh, the, like the future of, of where I might like to go uh, with leather craft. I would say that isn't necessarily something I've figured out yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my wife and I sort of plan to move back to the States in 2018. Oh, wow. Okay. Whether that would be like the middle of 2018, the end of 2018 is still up in the air. Um, we would like to be somewhere along the, the five, so somewhere between <laughs> San Diego and Seattle. Okay. So I think the biggest thing that would probably prevent me from pursuing leather craft vocationally would be the cost of living. Okay. As you well know. Yes, yes. Um, on the West Coast is is kind of brutal, and um, that would be that would be a lot of a lot of bags I'd have to to make and sell. Um, I don't know how realistic that would be. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. So you haven't been doing this that long, but do you have a biggest triumph yet? I think every biggest triumph is the most recent thing that I've completed. Every new project, I, I'm growing so much. I'm, I'm hopefully we'll always be able to look at things that way. But um, definitely, I, I continue just to really learn so much on every project. Even if it's you know there have been some projects that I've um, I have gone back and made the same thing that I've made before. And those projects, even though I've learned a lot of lessons on the first time through, I'm still learning a ton mm -hmm. uh, going through and making it the second time. So. Yeah, I mean, the most recent thing I completed was a briefcase, um, and I'm, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> thank it's you. It's great. No, it's totally great. I, we we were lining this up last week, and you were talking about it, and then I saw the picture of all the patterns, and then I saw the thing put together, and I was like, oh, geez, man. I think one of the things that's helped me get my work to another level has been materials. Um, when you're first starting out, you're kind of using cheaper materials cause you don't want to ruin it. <laughs> you, you don't want to ruin it. You don't want to just throw money away. You don't, but as you get more confidence, you can start to use some of the more expensive materials, expensive leathers, things like that. And that makes a huge difference in mm. just the look of the, the finished product and the quality of the finished product. So, um, there's still other stuff that's out there that I haven't even gotten to touch yet because it, it's a little beyond my scope at this point. But, yeah. um, you know, it's like a chef. I mean, you, you want to make your food with the best ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to have a chef, you know, like a five-star chef that's cooking with McDonald's ingredients. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not going to get a Michelin star, you know? Right. So that's been cool. Like just being able to like, ramp that part of things up all right and how about any failures or disappointments anything that's come up so far yeah again it would be whatever the last project was <laughs> that i worked on when it went off the rails um, and you had to fix it yeah i think i think everybody makes mistakes um and that as you get more advanced in a craft whatever that craft is it's being able to hide those mistakes and being able to cover them up in a way that looks like you meant to do it <laughs> oh, <yeah>. right <laughs> i joke with people all the time about that playing drums where if i'm on stage and i screw something up like the next time we come through the song i have to do something similar but on purpose so that <laughs> right. if anyone remembers like oh no he didn't mean to do that <laughs> he's just jazzing it up that's a that's a secret right there guys that's the the drummer's secret 
Yeah. No, um, you've made some really cool stuff. The uh, the briefcase you just made, you made the purse with the big flap over the top that was really the black one. I don't know how to describe yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, sure. That was awesome. That was perfect. perfect. And then uh, there was that duffel bag that was kind of like a yellowy tan kind of color. And the mm-hmm. I could tell the way it was designed, like the ends kind of pinched and then they had hooks. But I yeah. I imagine you unhook those and then it makes more space. No, no, you imagine wrong. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had this whole um, thing about the craft of it and how it was so <laughs> well thought out, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just way off base. Yeah, basically. Um, no, I. If you, it's kind of that particular one is what would be called like a Boston bag. Um, but if you've ever had like a dop kit for you know traveling with your razor and toothbrush mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, that's just part of that the style of it where just the those ends are sort of like folding and like when you wrap a gift right yeah, like yeah. you wrap a present and it you make a few triangles on the end and fold them all together it, it's more similar to that um but then all stitched together and then actually turned inside out you do the stitching okay. and the bag is reversed and then you flip it out but um yeah, sorry to break your well, heart. Well, there, um, there's your next project is the duffel with the expandable in with that clip. You can call it the bread or the griffin or whatever you want. <laughs> the Maslow. There you go. A little, little cross-branding. We could do that, man. A little collab. There you go. I love it. Yeah. So I know you were just here. I know you come home you know, once or twice a year and trying to see people. And when you're out and about, you're seeing people, You know, maybe you see someone you haven't seen in a while. And you tell them where you are, what you're doing. What's their most common reaction? It's, I mean, if it's somebody that I know, um, they're not going to ask a stupid question. Like they're not going to say, Oh, are you in North Korea or South Korea? Um, (laughs) but that does actually happen if it's somebody I don't know. If it's somebody I know, you know, sometimes it might just be like, Oh man, like you're, you're still over there. Right. Like, (laughs) um, how's that going? And uh, I think people are, you know, often surprised that, that I've stayed as long as I have. And it, to be honest, it surprised myself. I, mean, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't uh, plan on being here as long as I have been. Any preconceived misconceptions about South Korea, about Korean people, you know, the people here in the States might have that you'd like to clear up once and for all. All of them, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things that drew me to Korea was the fact that it exists. I I just, I I didn't think that it should like in between these two giants of Japan and China. And yet, I don't know when I came out, they were, I think the 13th largest economy in the world. And then you have these um, economic powerhouses like Samsung and Kia and LG and Posco. And it just kind of fascinated me that, this country that was completely ravaged by war, you know, not that ago. long yeah. ago, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, has just sprung up um, the way that it has. And I think there was part of me that thought maybe when I, I showed up, there would be lots of like rice fields and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, there are places where they grow rice, but uh, certainly it is very developed. Um and, you know, I, whether it's the speed of the internet or the public transportation, I mean, it is a very developed country. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it has sprung up out of, you know, utter poverty, not what, like 60 years ago. So it is, th- there's a lot 
about Korea that's just so interesting in that, like in in one aspect of it, um, especially when I first came, because things have just changed so much, even in that last like eight years, was there wasn't really much of a difference between what rich people ate and what poor people ate. Um, generally speaking, I mean, you know, you could pick this apart, but the the diet of term in terms of just like what people ate on a daily basis. I mean, people kind of just seemed to eat the same kinds of food. There weren't like super nice restaurants that were super expensive to go to. Um, a lot of that, like I said, has even changed in the last eight years. Yeah. There's a great number of French restaurants here now that mm. just didn't exist eight years ago. And that would be different in Seoul. Um, but still, I mean, Busan is the second largest city in Korea. Um, we're talking over 4 million people. Hmm. And there, there were just the sort of things that were quaint about Korea in a lot of ways. Um, also, there's a huge respect that younger people have for older people. Yes, part of that is Confucian values, but part of it is also just like this generation was the generation that that brought us up out of the mud and kind of turned Korea um, into what it is now through all of their hard work. Mm. And we need to, you know, respect them for that. It's been a huge learning process for me, um, just coming from a very individual culture um, in America and just seeing you know, a stronger sense of family, a stronger sense of respect for elders. Um, those are all things that I, I've definitely grown to appreciate and will carry with me when I'm no longer you know, living on the peninsula. Was there a lot of stuff that you had to kind of learn how to interact with people to not offend them, you know, in different, you know, you talked you talk about cultural differences, but, you know, was that difficult? Was it harder than you thought it would be? Was it easier than you thought it would be to get dialed in? Typically, people are very gracious. Typically, people uh, overlook a lot of the missteps that foreigners make culturally. So, if anything, the Korean people make it very easy. But at the same time, yeah, I've stepped on plenty toes. <laughs> um, and, you know, being married to a Korean woman has definitely been uh, a beautiful challenge in that. Uh, we both come from, you know, fairly different cultures and whether it's interacting with, you know, her parents, um, there are certain ways that one interacts with someone's parents, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a learning curve, you know, and, yeah. and thankfully her mom, for example, I, her and I have a great relationship. We get along really well. Um, and she's really gracious and really <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't hold me to the same, you know, level that she would hold me to if I was a Korean. And I, I'm very grateful for that because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I step on, on toes quite a bit. Any one particular story that you're particularly embarrassed about that you can share? Uh, I, there's plenty. I just don't know that they would translate well. Okay. Like, um, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a time where I was, um, asking her about, uh, my wife's father, um, who is sick. And I, I asked her in Korean, but I asked her in a very formal way without using any sort of polite language. Um, and on top of that, I, I also used the, the local Busan dialect. So 
it, it would just kind of, I don't know, it would be sort of like the equivalent of you asking your, your wife's mom something, but using just like a, a hip hop vernacular. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, she got a big laugh out of it and, and, and was able to like see my, my heart in it. Um, and so there was no, there was no problems there. But like, as I've grown in the language and understanding, I'm like, oh man, I looked like, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. So you mentioned refried beans, anything else that you didn't expect to miss that you missed a lot or, uh, things about America that you didn't, that you expected to miss that you don't. Yeah, man. Uh, meat is one thing. Americans, we have, just, our beef is just so cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just dirt cheap and so thick and juicy and delicious. And <laughs> I apologize to all your vegan viewers, but or listeners, um, yeah, you, you miss, you miss that. And, but you know what they do with beef here can still be great. Um, it's just, it's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I missed ranch dressing and uh, corn tortillas. I can get flour tortillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did try and learn how to make corn tortillas, but, Every attempt was there was no success. Like it was just <laughs> oh man, just not good, not good. Um, so I, I to this day I just oh man, corn tortillas just do it for me. Huh. I can't, I can't get them, man. You do have one of my number one condiments of all time, gochujang. Yeah, gochujang yeah. is amazing. I had it for the first time a couple of years ago, and I'm just like, where has this been my whole life? It's spicy <laughs> and it's pungent <laughs> and it's garlicky and it's like everything savory that I want. And it's a hot sauce. It's, it's amazing. I love it. I, I, <laughs> I put it on everything. <laughs> yeah, man, there, that is, you know, that's the, the opposite side of that. Right. It, which is when I move back to the States and I'm making my own kimchi at home and, and things like that, that I feel like I'm going to have game in the kitchen that I'll just be able to wow all my friends <laughs> with, you know, my wife's mom lives out in the countryside and, it's been really cool. I've got to have some really neat experiences making things like uh, denjang, which is like a miso paste, and making soy sauce and making all different kinds of kimchi and uh, cr- growing and picking different kinds of vegetables and stuff. Um, so my thumb has gotten greener as I've been out here too. and uh, Those have been some of my really best memories mm-hmm. um, just out there in her I don't know if you call it a big garden or a small farm, but just just really, really neat and a really amazing way to see the Korean country because it's not all just, you know, skyscrapers and fast internet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really beautiful side of Korea that you can see out in the country. That was really beautiful. That, that oh, was, thanks, That Brad. was a really beautiful moment. No, <laughs> I mean that. that. That's really great, man. So you live next to one of the most secretive mysterious you know countries regimes however you want to put it you know on on earth in our modern time and it's you know for a lot of americans it's just it's so mysterious you hear about the the cult of personality and the evils of north korea and the torture of their own citizens and all the crazy stuff that you hear i'm interested in your view on what the you know the climate is like in South Korea, you know, are people as worried about it as, you know, our mainstream media is making it out to be, you know, what's kind of your experience 
being there, learning a little bit more about the history of these two countries and kind of the current climate? Um, on the whole, I would say people are far less worried than the American media is. Um, people do not seem to think about North Korea in their in their daily lives. Um, most people don't feel a constant sense of threat or tension there. Uh, that being said, uh, military service in South Korea is compulsory. Um, all men, you know, are going to have, I mean, there's, there's ways that you don't have to serve directly in the military. You can do it through a police service or even through like a dental or, uh, work as a doctor. Um, but you have to serve some, uh, you know, in some capacity. So, you know, my brother-in-law served two years in the, in the military, um, when there are situations that occur where tensions rise, um, whether it was, you know, sinking of a Korean ship um, or an, a small island that was, um, you know, hit with artillery, mm -hmm. those things have had real consequences where real people have, have died. Um, and so in, in the midst of those kinds of situations, it, it is a very present reality with the Korean people. Um, so, you know, there's a seriousness to the topic that people are acutely aware of. At the same time, um, the Korean people tend to be a lot less concerned over the saber rattling aspects that seem to play themselves out a lot in the mainstream u.s media right i mean over here it's like we're one tweet away from nuclear annihilation i don't know that that's completely um unfair either given <laughs> who is personalities on both leading. sides well yeah i mean at least we had an, an adult um in the white house before so um sure there's more concern now than there was before because of the personalities involved. I, I, I think that is true. Um, at the same time, Korea is going to most likely move into a more stable uh, place politically in, in May. Um, there's going to be an emergency election on May 9th mm -hmm. in, in Korea after the previous uh, president was impeached. So, um, the person who in all likelihood will become the president, Moon Jae-in, is uh, a bit uh, a bit more sane <laughs> slash uh, okay. uh, progressive. I, I feel much more comfortable with him uh, leading the way. The interesting thing is because of who's in the White House, I think he's being pressured more towards um, having a standoffish relationship with the North. Um, whereas he would probably like to move more in the direction of uh, moving the country back to what was called the sunshine policy, um, where relations between North and South were trying to become more normalized. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say is that I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to any South Korean who has expressed anything other than the fact that they would love for the country to be reunited someday. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a deep, strong sense of 
a desire for one uh, one country, but I don't I don't think anybody sees the way um, that you would get there. So um, it's it's complex, and I don't you know just as a foreigner, just because I've lived here for I don't know, eight years or whatever, doesn't necessarily allow me to be able to speak with the great um, weight behind my words. But of course. Um, those are you know some of the impressions that I've had. Yeah. All right, we're in the home stretch here. Just a few more questions I like to mm-hmm. ask everybody. We've already covered yep. what you do for fun. We talked about brewing, crafting, knitting. Uh, I know you travel a lot. Uh, anything else you like to do for fun? Um, I've been really into board games uh, okay. recently. Okay. Uh, that's another one that I've been. Uh, I've even been playing around with designing my own uh, tabletop type game. Okay. Uh, with you know, of all things, a Korean theme, but. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I discovered while I've been here, maybe, again, <laughs> partially due to all the, the time that I have, but um, <laughs> there seems to have been just an explosion in the board game world in the last you know, 10, 15 years of people uh, getting into hobby sort of designed uh, board games, mm-hmm. things that are very much different than you know the, the Monopoly and the Risk and the yep. types of stuff that we grew up playing and. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been getting into that quite a bit. I also like, uh, hiking. Korea is just filled with mountains and no matter where you are in the city, you know, no matter how tall the buildings are that you're surrounded by, you're usually not, you know, a 15 minute walk away from, you know, being at a trailhead somewhere and you can get up into the mountains a little bit. Uh, That's really enjoyable. Like I said, I love going to the countryside and just being out there and, um, you know, other than that, yeah, it's just the the stuff we all like doing, you know, beer and friends and good conversations. Mm-hmm. Anything you're excited about right now? Any movies you just saw or books you just read? Any albums you just heard? Anything you want people to know about? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been listening to a lot this uh, of Korean music recently. Okay. Like for the first, I don't know, seven years, like I probably didn't listen to a lot of it. And now like I've just started to discover that there are some, some gems that I've sort of been sleeping on for the last, uh, <laughs> however long, um, just to throw out a couple things. One, I would say Zion T, okay. um, is a more recent artist that I really enjoy in Korea. And then like a throwback would be Imun Se. um, in terms of you know international music, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Nako and Medicine for the People. Um, love that stuff. Movies, uh, you know, catching up on the Oscar stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know, man. There's so much good TV right now. You that, can't keep up with it. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's and TV's in my opinion just so much better than movies recently. Like I don't know, it's just a. Uh, a medium that allows you know people to create such better works than you know the confines of a two-hour format so i agree um i've yeah i've been watching a lot of great tv with all that we've talked about what inspires you to keep going how do you keep yourself motivated um i'm not sure are you familiar with enneagram at all uh it sounds familiar go for it a little bit it's kind of a personality test would be sort of a base way of looking at it but has more ancient roots than that but uh yeah essentially there's like nine personality types um i would be a, a seven on the enneagram um which means i'm a little bit more 
free-spirited, entrepreneurial, avoid pain and conflict and like, you know, joking around and making light of serious situations. Um, that was just like a very brief <laughs> summary. But um, I think within the seven uh, personality type on the Enneagram, um, you're always looking towards that next thing. Um, I think that's part of why I've had so many different hobbies and so many different things that pique my interest. Um, you know, it's kind of the, the Renaissance man, like, mm -hmm. um, or what, what's the other cliche? Like the, um, Jack master of all of trades, none. master of none. Yeah, yeah. of all yeah. trades, master of none. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, I feel like I can do a lot of things, a lot of different things. Um, pretty good but i'm not i'm not an expert at anything you know and i think that fits in with, with my personality so i'm always looking towards like uh the next thing the next project that is one of the ways that i love doing leather work and and brewing like i don't think i could ever be a professional brewer because you're you're making the same oh, beer yeah. over and over again yep. Um, same thing with leather crap. Like the fun thing about doing bespoke custom goods is I can just, I don't have to make that same thing again, right? Like mm -hmm. I can keep making a different thing and, and that's really exciting. If you were able to go back to the start of the journey, anything you'd tell yourself? Um, you know, I'm more of the mind, like I, I always think about, I wish that I had more than one of me. Right. Like I wish I had like a thousand me's that could live a thousand different lives because there's just so many things that oh, I yeah. want to do. I can never do all of those things. Um, I, you know, when shortly after school, there was sort of like that idea in your mind that there's this utopia out there where, oh, if these friends, we all lived in the same place and like we could have this just perfect sort of life and you know, you quickly realize like that just doesn't exist, will never exist. The more I travel, the more friends and family I have in different places, the further that becomes um, impossible. So, you know, I, I deeply miss my parents and family and friends that live in the States. And when I move back to the States, I will deeply miss Korea and the family and friends that I have here. I will never be fully home, but I, you know, I'll always be pretty close at the same time mm -hmm. so yeah just enjoy the ride i guess i i would tell early me i mean sure there's a bunch of things i would do different um a bunch of things that i would do the same but i i don't know you know so many of the things that if we did them differently then we wouldn't be where we are now we wouldn't have the friends we do now we wouldn't have the experiences we do now and yeah um and i wouldn't want to give any of those things up so right. You know, just, yeah, just do it. Just enjoy the ride, make the mistakes, and just um, get the most you can out of it. Yep. No, I can definitely relate to the the thousand me's. You know, there's there's only so many hours in a day, and to do all those things and read more and exercise more and watch more TV and be a more attentive father and be in closer communication with my wife. I mean, there's there's just not enough hours in a day. And if I put more hours in a day, I sleep less and then I burn out. You know, there's, there's only so many hours and I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a, uh, it's the great conundrum of our time, you know, and I've talked about it with the musicians too. Like now that I'm older and I have more money, I can afford better gear, but I have no time to play it, you know? And <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's 
like that's the one thing about my setup right now is that I have so much free time and I'm so rich in that. And, um, you know, whatever I do next, like I'm going to be working more hours mm-hmm. and uh, I'll never, you know, have this again. Like I would never leave if this job, you know, existed in Portland or in LA or, you know, something like that. Like, why would I ever leave it because of what it affords me to do with the rest of my life? But, you know, we have to say no to some things in, in order to say yes to others and just make the best of it. Any last words of advice? Life, art, creativity, anything? Um, I wish, man. Just keep learning, right? There's so much to learn out there. And there's such a, like, we have the internet, you know? We live in a time of, like, YouTube yep. and Reddit. And, yep. like, you can learn anything you want to do. Like, you can watch YouTube videos. You can get into forums. Like, it's amazing the fact that, like tomorrow you can just decide like, Oh, I want to pick this up. And like, you can, you can learn how to do that. You can learn how to make that or whatever. It's amazing. So yeah, just people need to just do more of that. Right. But again, this comes from a place of like, yeah, but you've got free time, you know, like whatever, (laughs) like it's tough. Yeah. No, I, um, I've said that for years, you know, that with YouTube, you can do anything you want. You can learn how to do anything you want. People learn how to parent on YouTube. You know, People yeah. learn how to fix their car on YouTube. People learn how to cook on YouTube. I mean, there's the, it's all out there, you know, just if there's something you want to learn how to do, make the time, you know, TV's great, but maybe watch a little less TV and, uh, yeah. and learn a little bit more about the thing you really want to be doing. So I can, I can definitely agree with that. Yeah. So if someone wants a custom piece from Lowlander, can they get one and what should they do? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd definitely be willing to work something out on that. Like I said, um, it's I'm kind of doing word of mouth stuff right now. A typical bag for me uh, the first time through, because the first time through is including lots of hours of design, right? Um, where I'm making up paper prototypes and things like that. So that last briefcase i did was probably between the 50 and 60 hour mark oh geez if i was to do that again um i could cut the you know i'd be able to cut at least 10 15 hours out um probably just on the design side of things but everything i'm making is all hand cut and hand stitched so uh, the type of stitching i do is called saddle stitching and what you do is you take one long thread and then there's a needle on each end of it um, and so when you, when you make a hole with the punch, the needle is going to pass through that hole two times, one from each side. Okay. And then you're going to grab each needle and then it's going to go through the next hole, you know, uh, two times. So it's actually a really strong construction. You can't get that type of construction uh, with a sewing machine, right? Cause you're getting uh, every hole passed through two twice. Um, the thread that I use is, uh, sometimes used by Hermes, um, on their bags, which, are actually one of the only big designers that still make bags by hand. Um, and it's called Lin Cable. And it's like a three, three threads that are basically cabled together. Uh, so really strong stuff. It also happens to be fairly expensive compared to regular <laughs> thread. But it's one of those things where if you're going to go out of pocket on something that's completely custom, completely handmade, you know, it doesn't make sense to use lesser quality oh, yeah, materials. Yeah. Um, all that is sort of a precursor to say, you know, 
don't expect to pay <laughs> what you would for a bag off of Amazon or Marshalls or wherever. Yeah, yeah. or something that was, you know, uh, used genuine leather, which is kind of terrible leather to begin with. Right. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, just through the Lowell Ander uh, Instagram account, you know, you can private message me and we could start talking and dialogue about uh, a project that you'd have and go from there. Awesome. Well, Tevin, thanks for coming on the show. This has been awesome. It's been awesome to catch up. It's a, it's a great story. You know, you expanded, you learned more, you found out more about yourself, you found out more about the world, and it's, it's cool to hear. And a lot of this I hadn't heard, and it's, it's really rad. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. Again, uh, Kevin's Leathercraft can be found on Instagram, at Lolander. Hit him. Uh, slide into those direct messages. I think that's what the kids are saying these days. Uh, slide into those direct messages if you'd uh, like to talk to him about a custom piece. It will not be cheap, but it will be worth it. This has been the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. If you like what you heard today, you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslowpeak.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud to have new episodes automatically pushed to you. You can also check out our Instagram at the Maslow Peak for behind-the-scenes details. Like us on Facebook and Twitter at the Maslow Peak. Thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us next week.